Given and Giving, God's Perfect Perspective on Possessions. Let's begin with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to be a blessing to other people. Help us appreciate precisely what you are doing when you give us gifts and help us find great joy in being able to share those gifts with others. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been spending a good amount of time looking at the various aspects of Christian giving. And you might remember from last time that two of the the most special chapters in the Bible that talk about Christian giving are found in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. You might recall the background of these two chapters, really of the letter of 2 Corinthians, that Paul uh, had visited Corinth for the first time on his second missionary journey, and now he was heading back for a second time. Um, On his third missionary journey, Paul was essentially collecting two things. In addition to just reaching out to people with the gospel, he was collecting and offering money for Christians who were living in Jerusalem. There was a famine, and Christians were struggling to get enough to eat. And so, as Paul went around, he was looking for gifts that would help support them. In addition, Paul was collecting people. These were individuals who would accompany the gifts that were given from each of the individual congregations. They'd give a certain amount of money, and then they'd send their man along with that money who would follow it and ultimately hand it over in Jerusalem and be able to reflect back then on the joy that the Christians in Jerusalem had. As he was going about that effort to encourage giving for those who needed it, um, he was in northern Greece, in Macedonia. He was sending a letter to Corinth in a way to get them ready for his arrival. A group of Christians in Corinth who now themselves would have the opportunity to help the Christians in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now you know that that is a city in the modern day land of Israel and it was a city in Israel back in Jesus Paul's day as well. The gift that was given was intended to help people there. You might imagine yourself as you are attending your your congregation, your church, and there's an offering plate and it's passed around and money is put in that plate. For what purpose is that money put in the plate? Said another way, what is your Jerusalem? What is your money going to support? It might feel like a pretty sterile thing that you put money in a bag or a bowl or something like that. When in fact, in our congregation, when money is given, the the money is used to support a lot of amazing things, really to touch the lives of people. If it helps our pastor have an income so that he can share God's word with us, that is touching the lives, the hearts of people. You know, in a way, it's almost a gift to yourself. Or if it's supporting a school where young children are growing up in an understanding of the love of Jesus, or if it's making it possible for an event to occur so that people in the neighborhood are having a chance to find out about Jesus, right? I wonder, like, how important is it to think about the specific people who are benefiting from what might seem to you like just a sterile gift. You're giving to the church, you're giving to an institution, right? But it's it's really all about people. Your gift is having a significant impact, like it's opening a door 
for other people to come to get to know their Savior, for Christians to be strengthened in their faith. How, how important is that? How important is it for you to be aware of how your money is being used? Well, like we, we want to know. We, we want to be giving our gifts truly to help. For you to realize that might, what might look sort of sterile is in fact a powerful gift to another individual. Well, that's a reminder that what you're doing has authentic meaning. We're going to look at now the Corinthians who were giving to the Christians in Jerusalem for a very authentically meaningful transaction, like saving a people from starving to death. Let's see what Paul has to say to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1. We'll read the first five verses. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. There is no need for me to write to you. And yet Paul is writing. Like, what does that mean? Is this some kind of a a trick where someone might say, for example, like, I don't mean to offend you, but, and then they say something which offends you, right? Like, what's going on here? Is it some kind of a, well, it's, he doesn't really mean it, that he doesn't need to write to them. He really does need to write to them because he knows that they are not going to follow through, that they don't want to follow through. He just doesn't want them to feel bad from the very beginning. We can properly assume the best about what Paul was doing here, that he was not trying to trick them or speak out of two sides of his mouth or anything like that. Paul really did not need to write them. They had in their hearts an eagerness to be a part of this. Their gift was a generous gift that they had committed. They were eager to give. So he did not need to write them. But why does he write them? I don't know if it's ever happened to you where someone shared with you like a really cool opportunity to help and and you heard it and you were excited. But then you went home and you a couple things happened in the next couple of days and maybe eight days later, someone mentions to you, oh, like that was a really cool presentation, wasn't it? And you think, oh, that's right. I completely forgot about it. Thank you very much for reminding me. Does it ever happen that a good intention of your heart gets like sort of put on pseudo hold for a while because you've just forgotten time has passed. And when someone does remind you of it, you're not saying, oh, like, okay, I know what you're trying to do. You're you're authentically thankful that they reminded you of something that you were already eager to do. That is so naturally how we would view what Paul is doing here. He didn't have to write to them in order to encourage uh, a willing heart. But he wanted to write to them just to to make sure that they were remembering, that they were thinking. And, and a lot, large part of it might have just been organizational, where he wanted them to let wanted them to know that he was on his way, that he was going to be coming, and that when he showed up, that it would feel a little awkward if they weren't ready 
with the gift. So he thought, well, I'll get you ready ahead of time. And so when I show up, you'll be ready. And wow, what a wonderful thing that, that will communicate to the, the entourage that I have coming with me from these other congregations, right? It won't in any way look like you're scrambling to give the gift, that it was grudgingly given. No, it will be very obvious what was in your heart, that the Corinthians, Corinthians themselves would want it to look this way. Because it was. It was truly a generous gift. Like in a way, you could say that what Paul was really going after here was organization. When you do big things, you need organization, preparation, right? And, and maybe you can think of other benefits when a giving effort is organized. There certainly is a temptation to attempt manipulation, right? To have such a structure in place that you'd make people feel badly if they're not participating, which means they participate because they don't want to feel badly, which means they're participating out of guilt. They're, they're being motivated by their fears of what people will think of them, and that is not godly. It, it is sinful if we are giving because we're afraid of what people will think of us if we don't give. Like, it's wrong to motivate based on guilt or to make someone feel like they have to do this. And in this particular way where we are almost like prescribing what good works look like in every individual's life, that is not at all what Paul was seeking to do, but just to have a structure in place that it be orderly, that people know what they're giving to, that there's a pathway for them to follow if they'd like to participate, right? Structure. At the same time, we realize that there can be things in a giving effort which end up really accomplishing the opposite of what godly leaders would ever want to accomplish. And, and maybe, maybe you've thought of things like this, that uh, something that someone could say to you in the context of a giving effort that would make it more likely that your gift is grudgingly given. Like, what things have you heard? What things could someone say that would make it more likely that when you end up giving, you really are not excited about it? Maybe somebody is saying, well, look at what this person gave. Surely you should be able to, right, where you're, <clears throat> the comparison is being used to make you feel uncomfortable. If the psychology, or maybe we would better say the motivation behind a particular gift is where you're made to feel there's a specific amount that we expect you should give. And you're thinking, like, I don't know, I, I'm just not sure. You end up saying, well, I guess I better do that because now the people that talk to me about it are going to think very badly of me if I don't do it. Are there different things that you can imagine being said that in the end would be treating this transaction of giving as something that is to be dreaded, something that you regret? Right? There are so many things that we can say about giving money that are wrong. What is the nature of proper giving? I don't know if any of you have, uh, when as married individuals, made plans for an anniversary meal. And 
if the husband is making the plans and deciding where to go, uh, probably the last thing that he would think about, <clears throat> unless it's a special circumstance, is, okay, like, what's the cheapest restaurant that maybe she doesn't really like, but I like, and we're just going to go there because we don't want to spend a whole lot of money on this, right? I mean, if that would ha if that would happen, then there would be other bigger things that would need to be talked about. When, when a husband <clears throat> is looking forward to sharing his love with his wife, he's thinking, wow, like, how much could I do? And it doesn't mean that you would do so much that the next morning your children wouldn't have any breakfast to eat, but you'd be thinking just in terms of what is, what's the ideal way that I, how, how, what's the best way that I could show my love, right? Not at all grudging, like we wouldn't even think about that. That it's simply an effort to reflect to the person who has been so special in your life, how precious they truly are. That's precisely what was in the hearts and minds of the Corinthians. This love for God, and Paul is just reminding them, yeah, we want that gift to be a generous gift, that it, it comes because of a heart that is overflowing for Jesus. Verses 6 and 7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow generously, reap generously. Complete this sentence. The garden imagery is helpful for me as I think about giving to the Lord because... Who of you, if you've ever planted seed, looks at your 25 corn kernels, about ready to put them in the ground, and you think, oh, I don't know, like, should I put 25? Uh, like, I'd really like to keep... I think I'm just going to put five in, and then I'll keep 20 for myself. Right? You, you, you would not ever, even, ever think that way. If you've got 25 seeds, you're thinking, maybe, okay, like, can I fit more in this garden? you're only thinking about what's going to happen as a result, right? You're planting seed because you know that the more seed you plant, the greater the harvest will be. What a beautiful way to think about giving. The more seed I plant, the bigger the harvest will be. Now, that might make someone feel, all right, so I'm going to manipulate this and I'm going to make sure that Okay, wait a second. Is what you're saying, God, that if I give you 10 bucks, then I'm going to get a thousand bucks back from you? Okay, like I'm all with you. <laughs> Except now, what is that? Like, what spiritual quality would you say that is reflecting? Would we not call that greed, selfish, like that we're giving to the Lord because we're greedy, because we want more? Which now that is obviously turning things completely upside down. What is God really saying here? You might remember the, the story of there was a rich young ruler who wanted to get to heaven and said, thought he kept all the laws and Jesus ended up saying, well, um, do this one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And the man went away sad because he was very rich. And then Jesus explained that it was very difficult for the rich to enter into eternal life and easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And you might imagine the disciples, Jesus' disciples, who had left everything thinking, oh, Yes! So we are going to get to go to heaven because we are poor, 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 right? Actually, after Jesus explained what was just shared, the disciples said, 
who then can be saved. Like they had caught Jesus' intended point. That what he was saying is that based on human efforts and human capabilities and human gifts and all of the rest, there is no one, there's nobody who is able to, by their own power, get into a right place with God. And Jesus agrees with them. He says, yes, with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then, one of the disciples hadn't lost track of that thought, though, that they were very, he said, we've given up all these things for you. And Jesus acknowledged, yeah, that they had given up a lot for him. And then he said that if you've given up all of these things, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, and all these things that the disciples had given up in order to follow Jesus, he says, you will receive a hundred times as much of the brothers and sisters and mothers and like I'm not sure exactly how you get a hundred mothers but then that was kind of his point that yes the Lord is richly going to bless you you never need to think when you're giving that one of the calculations you have to take into account is I'm not sure that God is powerful enough to make sure that I have everything that I need like you never need to think that now that isn't the free pass to say okay well I'm going to sell everything that I have and Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go to my pastor and I'm going to say, I don't have anything. I don't even have anything left for food, pastor. Uh, do you have anything that I could eat? Right? It's wrong also to jump off the temple and test God. God. God wants us to use what we have to pursue all of the things that he has given us on our agenda, including caring for our family and a roof over our heads and all the rest, right? So what Jesus is telling the disciples is, please know when you give, I am fully capable of giving you far more but interestingly, after that listing of all of the blessings, he adds two words in the Greek, meta diogmon. Meta means with or together with. Diogmon means persecutions. That in this context of God richly blessing, there would be persecutions, which makes you say like, okay, what? <laughs> I'm giving, and then God is giving me even more, together with there's persecutions. But this just, it demonstrates how the point is the rich blessings God has given, the fact that sometimes you will live in want, not plenty, and yet you will still rejoice in God's rich blessings, that you never have to calculate, I don't think God is good enough, powerful enough, right? That that's never on, that need not ever be on your mind. What is properly on your mind as you're thinking about Okay, here is what I would like to do. Here's what I would like to give. God says that the nature of our giving is that we have decided this in our heart. Now, how do you know whether an idea that you have about how much to give is a right idea or a wrong idea? That you're deciding it in your heart, but you're not sure whether what you're leaning toward is right or wrong. I mean, have, have you ever felt that way about something? that <laughs> You just feel confused. You're wondering, like, what does God want me to do? You're thinking in those terms, and you, you really don't know for sure. And you also don't know whether some of the ideas that you're having are coming from the new person inside of you, or are they coming from your sinful flesh? And it, it can be so confusing. In fact, in Jeremiah 17, 9, the Lord says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure can understand it. So can you trust yourself, right? I, ca I can't trust my, my sinful flesh. It is deceitful beyond cure. 
well, what do you do when you've got these kind of competing ideas, some coming from the new person, some coming from the sinful flesh? You're trying to figure out which ones are coming from which. And you think like, what is the right amount of money for me to give the Lord? Do you ever feel confused like that? That these words from Psalm 139, verse 23, verse 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can we get so confused sometimes that we, well, we, we need God, don't we? To probe our hearts, to help us see what offensive, wrong ideas we have. And, and how do you find out what wrong ideas you have? Well, another key part, as we know that our heart is sinful beyond cure, is to consider these words from Psalm 51, verses 9 and 10. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. To know that we've got a deceitful heart is to know that we need the Lord to make our heart pure. And how does God do that? He makes our heart pure by washing it in the blood of Jesus. But we are forgiven for all of those wicked things that we can think, those selfish thoughts, those greedy thoughts. And as the Lord has purified your heart, as you know that your sin is forgiven, now the act that you take next is purely an act of love. It is that husband thinking about what restaurant I want to go with with my wife, that you're not thinking about how little you can get away with. Your, your longing is to think about how, how much, right? And, and that's the Lord. We're, just, we're thinking about how much. And maybe you'll make a decision now that feels just very comfortable. And then next year you'll, you'll say, I don't know, like I think, I, I think we want to give even more. Or next year will come around and you'll realize that your life circumstances have changed. Or maybe the decision you made was just not wise in the bigger picture. And you'll say, I think that we need to, 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 to back off a little bit, at least for right now. Right? But it's always going to be the heart, the same kind of loving heart that's going to make different decisions about where you're going to go out to eat on your anniversary, depending on what else is happening in your financial life. But with all of that, you're thinking, I love the Lord. That is the only thing that I can, I, I want to serve the Lord. And you're going to be serving him with everything that you do with your money. And, and yes, in that, that unique way of supporting the work of sharing Jesus with the world, through your Christian congregation. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 to 11. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Respond to someone who says, I give to the Lord because he gives me even more in return. Well, like that could be a wrong way of saying it, right? If it's like I give because I want a lot more and God has said something about blessing after you give and Right where it's really greed that's driving the giving. Or the example of the disciples where the Lord promises them a hundred times as much with the persecutions. Where we're, we're recognizing there that, okay, that is a promise from God. That's a blessing. It's, I'm giving because he gives me even more in return. 
Well, you'd say still there, no, you're giving because you can't help but give. <laughs> you can't help but be filled with the love of Jesus and then it flows out from you, right? You can't help but rejoice in the love of Jesus and you can't help but give back to Jesus. But can I also recognize that I don't have to be afraid that God will ever let me down? Like, absolutely. I can know that God is powerful and he will surely take care of me. And as a consequence, I, am, I don't have to be afraid. Now, there's something else in those verses he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. Do you see what God is saying about when he does give us blessing back? Like, instead of thinking, okay, now I've got a ton for myself, and I don't care about God, and I'm going to do what I want. I mean, that a Christian, like, no way, that's a wicked lie of the flesh. What God says is that when he gives you more, he's giving you more seed, more, more seed, <laughs> which means what? that you are planting even more, that God gives you more to be able to plant even more, which increases even more your harvest of righteousness, right? It's like this whole thing is one simple thing. The gifts that God has given us are tools that we use to honor God and to be a blessing for others. It is seed which we are eager to plant. Like what a beautiful, beautiful perspective on our giving. We're planting and then when God gives us more seed, we get to plant even more. This service that you perform, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 12, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Here he says that, that the people that are receiving this gift, so those Jerusalem Christians, are having their hearts go out to the Corinthians, thanking God because of the surpassing grace that God has given them. The Jerusalem Christians are thanking God for the gift that the Corinthians had given them. And you might think, wait a second, wouldn't they just be thinking about thanking the Corinthians, except it was God who gave to the Corinthians the gift of giving. Do you remember that from 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1? That the act of giving, the ability to give, the joy in giving is itself a gift from God. And so when the Jerusalem Christians get this gift, they are praising God for giving to the Corinthians the gift of giving. That is what our giving is all about. Giving glory to God. That thanks is going to God from all directions. What a privilege to be given by God that gift, the gift of giving. Let's close with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this wonderful privilege of being able to share what we have in your name with others, to make sure that they hear the word of God, to make sure that they are understanding the love that you have shown to us. Dear Lord, fill our hearts. Bless us with the gift of giving. Amen.